section eleven of the central period of the middle age nine eighteen to twelve seventy three by beatrice a lees this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six the war of investiture ten fifty six to eleven twenty five part two by this decree gregory the seventh openly proclaimed the supremacy of the church over all temporal states if the pope possessed the power of the keys the right to bind and loose he could at any moment break the bonds of allegiance homage and fealty which held together feudal society and sever alike the vassal from his lord and the subject from his sovereign the prohibition of lay investiture had freed the church from secular control the power of the keys placed all secular government under the authority of the papacy gregory realized that his declaration meant war he strengthened his military forces in rome and opened negotiations with robert guiscard and roger of sicily while the countess matilda placed her troops unreservedly at his disposal the pope's best hopes however lay in the disunion of germany where the king's excommunication had revived all the elements of discord though sentence of excommunication was pronounced on gregory the seventh by the bishop of utrecht the great nobles always lukewarm in their loyalty fell away from the discredited king the saxon revolt broke out afresh the reforming party in the church supported the papal cause and even the bishops began to waver in the autumn of ten seventy six the nobles and prelates met with the pope's approval in council at tribur on the rhine while henry took up a position at oppenheim on the opposite bank the mediation of hugh of cluny the king's godfather brought about an agreement henry humiliated himself and promised amendment yet he had to submit to hard conditions the nobles demanded that he should obtain release from excommunication by the anniversary of his sentence or forfeit his right to the throne the pope was to hold a council at augsburg in the following february and until then the king was to remain at speyer without royal state or power henry now begged the pope to receive his submission at rome and when gregory bade him wait for the augsburg council he determined on prompt action taking with him his wife and his three-year-old son conrad he crossed the alps by the mont Cenis pass in spite of the rigour of an unusually severe winter the queen and her women were dragged over the slippery ice and snow on ox hides and the little band safely reached italy where the king's partisans eagerly flocked around him gregory had retired with countess matilda to her castle at canossa in the apennines and here on january twenty first ten seventy seven henry appeared to sue for absolution from the relentless pope only after long negotiations and three days of humiliating waiting in the bitter weather in the garb of a penitent was the king through the intercession of countess matilda admitted to gregory's presence prostrate and in tears at the feet of the pope after promising to abide by the papal decision in his quarrel with the german nobles he received the longed-for absolution it was an impressive scene 
in the presence of the great countess and of the saintly U of cluny the small sallow pope only redeemed from insignificance by the flashing eyes that bespoke his fiery soul stooped to raise and pardon the royal penitent the representative of the highest earthly dignity so dramatic indeed was the reconciliation that the importance of the submission at canossa has been overrated and historians have seen in it the crowning triumph of the papacy it was much more truly merely a link in a long chain of events a deliberate surrender whereby henry won through a passing mortification a permanent advantage he forced the pope's hand by wringing the absolution from him before the augsburg council he turned the tables on the german nobles who could no longer plead the papal sanction for their refusal to obey an excommunicated king and he put gregory in the wrong by posing as a repentant sinner before a ruthless judge the absolution at canossa drove the german nobles into open revolt on march thirteenth ten seventy seven they met at forchheim near bamberg and before the papal legates but without waiting for the pope's sanction declared henry the fourth deposed and elected rudolph of schwabia in his place on march fifteenth rudolph was proclaimed king after he had renounced all hereditary claim to the throne for his heirs and had conceded freedom of election to all bishoprics but rudolph's partisans underestimated the strength of the attachment to the old royal house henry's lombard supporters at first indignant at his submission now rallied to him and his release from excommunication with the election of the anti-king gave him a formidable party in germany when he returned from italy troops gathered round him from bavaria carinthia and bohemia even the schwabians supported him against their own duke the great rhine cities were on his side and rudolf was forced to retire to rebellious saxony two years of civil war followed while the pope temporized and vacillated between the rival kings at last in ten eighty the defeat of henry's army at flaschheim near the unstrut encouraged gregory to declare for rudolf he again excommunicated henry and deprived him of his german and italian dominions definitely claimed the right to give or take away kingdoms and threatened all those guilty of lay investiture with excommunication henry retaliated by deposing gregory excommunicating both gregory and rudolf and setting up an anti-pope vibert archbishop of ravenna the leader of the royal party in lombardy there were now two popes and two german kings an open war was renewed between gregory and henry a war in which fortune seemed to have turned against the papacy on october fifteenth ten eighty henry was defeated on the river elster in saxony but rudolph was mortally wounded in the battle and his death threw his party into confusion a new anti-king hermann of luxemburg was chosen in the following year and was the nominal leader of the papal party in germany until ten eighty eight in the spring of ten eighty one henry could venture to leave germany and march on rome twice in ten eighty one and again in ten eighty two he attacked and beleaguered the city in vain but in ten eighty three he effected an entrance and opened negotiations with the romans on palm sunday ten eighty four 
after the renewal of the sentence of deposition and excommunication on gregory the seventh wibert of ravenna was consecrated as pope clement the third and on easter day he crowned henry the fourth emperor in st peter's gregory besieged in the castle of st angelo sent an appeal to robert guiscard who though reconciled to the papacy had hitherto been too much absorbed in his designs upon the eastern empire to come to the help of the pope now alarmed at the near approach of the germans he took the field with a force of normans lombards and sicilian saracens henry outnumbered withdrew to the north and left rome to its fate the gates were opened by robert's friends within the city and with cries of guiscard guiscard his troops poured over st peter's bridge and rescued gregory from the castle of st angelo a quarrel in which a norman was slain gave an excuse for a savage revenge the city was sacked and burned and thousands of men and women were sold into slavery ten years later rome was still in ruins the cruelty of the normans wrote a contemporary won more hearts for the emperor than he could have purchased with a hundred thousand gold pieces when robert guiscard returned to the south gregory the seventh accompanied him less than a year later on may twenty fifth ten eighty five the great pope passed away at salerno saying with his last breath i have loved justice and hated iniquity therefore i die in exile robert guiscard did not long survive him he died at corfu on july seventeenth as he was preparing for an expedition against constantinople on his tomb were inscribed the words here lies guiscard the terror of the world hic terror mundi guiscardus gregory the seventh's last words betray the bitterness that filled his soul at the downfall of his hopes yet his was one of those high failures which are sometimes worth more than success he was not a great creative genius but he put into words what other men could only dumbly feel he gave form and definition to the vague theories and aspirations of the party of reform in the church he saw the world divided and distracted by feudal strife and conflicting beliefs he tried to give it peace and unity and centralization by making the divinely instituted papacy supreme over all human and temporal powers and thus establishing a spiritual empire of god upon earth to this end noble if impracticable he devoted his life to him the pope was the vicar of christ the direct representative of the apostles and as such superior to all emperors and kings he was ambitious for a cause not for himself he was obstinate and unyielding from the very intensity of his faith and the righteousness of his aims he sought temporal authority only as a means to spiritual influence his personal charm and the mixture in his character of shrewd worldly wisdom with religious mysticism is seen in peter damiani's half-reluctant attraction toward him he called him his holy satan whose will had ever been a command evil yet lawful after the death of gregory the seventh the prospects of the papal party looked gloomy enough a year passed before a new pope was elected and then the choice fell upon the abbot of monte cassino an old feeble man 
quite unfit to cope with the difficulties of the position which was forced upon him he was consecrated at rome as victor the third under the protection of the norman troops of the prince of capua and died at monte cassino in a few months his successor urban the second ten eighty eight to ten ninety nine the cardinal bishop of ostia was a frenchman a monk of cluny and a devoted follower of gregory the seventh he was consecrated in ten eighty eight at terracina for the imperialists had regained possession of st peter's after a fierce fight with the forces of countess matilda the papalists had now once more an able and energetic leader gregory the seventh was dead but his ideals lived on and his cause found champions in urban the second and the countess matilda the deborah of the papacy matilda whose first husband a loyal imperialist godfrey the hunchbacked had died in ten seventy six married in ten eighty nine the young son of welf duke of bavaria one of the chief leaders of the anti-imperial party in germany bavaria and tuscany were thus united against the emperor germany was a hotbed of sedition and treason the normans of southern italy jordan of capua robert guiscard's son roger the duke of apulia and his uncle the great count roger of sicily were partisans of urban the second the first seven years of urban's pontificate were occupied with a tedious struggle between henry the fourth and the countess matilda in lombardy the emperor took mantua in ten ninety one but in ten ninety two he was repulsed from canossa a heavier blow was to follow matilda won over the young conrad who had been crowned king of germany in ten eighty seven to rebel against his father and join his enemies in ten ninety three he was crowned king of the lombards and town after town of northern italy where the patarini were still active declared for him when henry heard of his son's revolt his spirit seemed broken and he was with difficulty restrained from putting an end to his life to add to his misfortunes his second wife the russian princess proxatis accused him openly of the grossest cruelty and the popular feeling began to turn strongly against him in ten ninety five while the emperor powerless and heartsick dragged out his inactive days in northeast italy urban the second made a kind of triumphal progress through tuscany lombardy burgundy and france at piacenza he held a council in which the excommunication of the anti-pope was renewed and ambassadors from the eastern empire appeared seeking for help against the turks at cremona he received an oath of fealty from king conrad at the great november council of clermont he stood forth to the world as the preacher of the first crusade in the winter of ten ninety six he entered rome where in ten ninety nine he died no unworthy successor of the great gregory the seventh urban the second carried the hildebrandine principles to their logical conclusion he absolutely prohibited not only simony clerical marriage and lay investiture but the homage of ecclesiastics to laymen he did not hesitate to excommunicate the king of france philip i for carrying off bertrade of anjou 
or to set up the young king conrad as a rival to his father with him the projects of gregory the seventh for the rescue of the holy land from the turks took shape and substance in the organization of the crusading movement the death of urban the second and the election of cardinal renarius a rigid gregorian as pope paschal the second opened the last scene of the tragic drama of henry the fourth's reign the anti-pope clement the third died in eleven hundred and his three insignificant successors had little influence conrad the young king also died in eleven o one deeply repenting of his rebellion against his father henry the fourth had won over the welfs to his side and his second son henry had been crowned at aachen and had sworn not to interfere in the government of the kingdom during his father's lifetime but the brighter prospects which seemed to be dawning for the emperor were soon overshadowed there could be no lasting peace while the unbending paschal the second sat upon the papal throne and the great nobles strengthened by the long civil war were all powerful in germany his reign ended as it had begun with feudal revolt and intrigue in eleven o four the young king henry put himself at the head of a widespread conspiracy to depose henry the fourth the pope granted him release from the oath which he had sworn to his father and in eleven o five by a feigned submission he succeeded in entrapping the emperor and imprisoning him in the castle of bügelheim on december thirty first eleven o five henry the fourth abdicated at ingelheim and a week later his son received the royal insignia at mainz and was recognized as king by the magnates yet the emperor still had many friends especially in the great towns the duke of lorraine and the bishop of liege supported him and he had hopes of aid from france and flanders he was at liege engaged in negotiations with his son when on august seventh eleven o six after a few days illness he peacefully ended his toilsome life the papal legate refused to allow the body of the excommunicated emperor to be buried in consecrated earth and for nearly five years it rested in an unconsecrated chapel not till eleven eleven was the unhappy henry the fourth laid by the side of his father and grandfather in the cathedral church of speyer in all german history there is no king more worthy of pity than henry the fourth neglected by his guardians in his fatherless childhood defied by his subjects in his early manhood betrayed by his sons in his declining years engaged throughout his life in a hopeless struggle with the forces irresistible when united of the reformed papacy and the feudal aristocracy like gregory the seventh he fought for an ideal the supremacy of the empire over the papacy the restoration of the imperial power of his ancestors in its fullness it was inevitable that he should fail for his ideal was alien alike to the religious feeling of the age and to the feudal spirit of independence yet he triumphed in defeat he held the fort of empire against all attacks and it was largely due to his courage and pertinacity that sixteen years after his death the war of investiture ended in a concordat a compromise not an unqualified victory for the papacy the settlement of the investiture question lends interest to the otherwise dull and monotonous reign of henry v eleven o six to eleven twenty five 
he had dissembled while he needed help from the pope and the german nobles but no sooner had he won the throne than he showed himself in his true colours stern ambitious and bent on restoring the imperial power a breach with the papacy could not long be delayed since henry persistently disregarded paschal ii's repeated decrees against lay investiture in august eleven ten henry marched into italy to claim the imperial crown the pope could not trust the fickle romans and the normans did not respond to his appeal for help in his perplexity he sent legates to sutri to propose to henry that he should renounce the right of lay investiture and that the clergy in return should surrender all temporalities held of the crown duchies marquisates counties rights of coinage tolls market rights and rights of jurisdiction only the patrimony of st peter the pope's own demesne was exempted from this renunciation on february twelfth eleven eleven henry v entered rome and went in state with the pope to st peter's where pascal's proposal was publicly read aloud a wild scene of confusion followed prelates and nobles protested against the spoliation of the church the suggested compromise was rejected the king renewed his claim to invest and imprisoned the pope and cardinals while the romans rose and fiercely attacked the germans after three tumultuous days henry retired from the city but he took with him the pope and sixteen cardinals and would not release them till pascal had formally granted him the right of investiture for the peace and freedom of the church said the pope i do what i would not have done to save my own life on april thirteenth eleven eleven henry was crowned emperor in st peter's and then returned in triumph to germany the general feeling of the church was however strongly adverse to the pope and in the lateran council of eleven twelve he withdrew his concession to the emperor and declared his entire sympathy with the principles of gregory the seventh and urban the second a french synod at vienne actually excommunicated henry v and the sentence was repeated by a papal legate in germany too henry's harsh rule had produced disaffection the saxons revolted under their new duke lothar of Suplenburg. cologne rose against the emperor and his trusted adviser adalbert archbishop of mainz joined the insurgents when in eleven fifteen the death of the countess matilda recalled henry to italy the pope once more openly repudiated his grant of the right of investiture a tumult in rome soon afterwards drove paschal from the city and on march twenty fifth eleven sixteen the archbishop of braga as papal legate crowned henry and his young wife matilda of england in st peter's the pope returned to st angelo in the last days of eleven seventeen only to die early in the following year his successor gelasius the second died at cluny after a troubled reign of less than a year in eleven nineteen the nobly born guy archbishop of vienne became pope calixtus the second a secular priest and a statesman he was destined to end the long investiture struggle henry v had set up an anti-pope gregory the eighth the archbishop of braga but he was not unwilling to treat with calixtus a council was held at Reims in october eleven nineteen in the presence of the pope while the emperor encamped with an armed force in the neighbourhood 
the discussion lasted long since neither side would concede enough to make an agreement possible though a decree was passed restricting the prohibition of lay investiture to bishoprics and abbacies the council closed with the solemn excommunication of henry and the antipope calixtus returned to rome and in the following year the unfortunate antipope was captured and consigned to a monastery peace seemed as far off as ever but both pope and emperor were heartily weary of strife and negotiations were soon reopened terms were made with the archbishop of mainz and the saxon rebels in eleven twenty one and the investiture question was referred to a general council to be held by the pope in germany on september eighth eleven twenty two this council met at Wurms. after eight days deliberation a satisfactory compromise was at last effected henry promised to give up investiture by ring and staff on condition that the election of prelates should take place in his presence or in that of his representative the temporalities were to be conferred by the touch of the royal sceptre before consecration in germany and in the other parts of the empire within six months after consecration this settlement which was confirmed in the lateran council of eleven twenty three was not unlike the agreement which henry i of england had concluded fifteen years earlier with archbishop anselm in both cases the church reserved to itself the spiritual supremacy while the state retained the temporal sovereignty in both cases the compact was followed by a truce rather than by a lasting peace the strife between empire and papacy church and state had indeed to be fought out to the end for it was a strife between two irreconcilable principles it took the feudal form of the investiture struggle in a feudal age it would revive under other forms in later centuries calixtus the second did not long enjoy his triumph he died in eleven twenty four the year which saw the emperor's invasion of france in the interests of his father-in-law henry i of england in eleven twenty five henry v also passed away at utrecht and was buried by his father's side in the cathedral of speyer End of section eleven